see you coming back in here with dusty jumpsies. I want to see you coming back in here with bloodstained jumpsies, man. Look at everybody going sitting in a pint with those boys after that. And the referee is looking around and acting as Mickey. Tell the children to play tennis or something. If they want to play tennis, go and play tennis. What's the story? Welcome to the Three Man Weave Bazaar EGA podcast. Uh, Mick McCarthy introduced the podcast this time of year yesterday as the Snoozer Eights. And I think it's probably as good a comparison as any to what we've had after this weekend. It's my greatest intro of all time. I've forgotten about that, actually, yeah. I did enjoy Marty Morrissey's The Coma and Oma yeah, at the weekend, brilliant. though. In yeah, fairness yeah. to Marty, like, you know, broken clock right twice a day and all. That was as good as it gets, really. That's Mick McCarthy. Mark Friday, how are you? I'm not too bad. Did you uh, enjoy the snooze rate finish? The, the, what was it, a come down after this weekend? There was a couple of things. Like, the May of Donegal game didn't live up to expectation at all really it was still decent it was worth watching but for reasons lots of reasons but one of them I'm going to get into in my 30 second moan uh, <laughs> later on 30 second whinge um, there's one thing in particular I want to talk about then uh, the Cork or the Dublin Tyrone game was great uh, because I watched 15 minutes of it when it was still kind of interesting and then the Leeds game started and uh Leeds have they won the championship um, which was mad given it's only the first day of the season but I think we'd all be delighted to see them back in the Premier League yeah it was never interested, interesting to be honest but anyway there you go I was watching it though for to see well it was interesting for like there were a couple of different things but mostly Conley you're just kind of watching it was like it was watching Conley cam for yeah. the whole for the the part I was looking then I actually had to go to a club game so I didn't even get to see the second half of any sport but it was interesting in the way that a kind of a mid-round league game would be interesting except with a inexplicably or even a, even a preliminary match that you're looking for a few players and seeing how they're going but in an inexplicably full stadium and then you're but also you realise that it's sunny outside and it's the middle of August and the All Ireland semi. Oh yeah, yeah. In don't, six don't get days. me sorry. Yeah, sorry. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like it was interesting in the sense that I've accidentally ended up watching some random movie from the 1970s on TG Car on a Friday night. <laughs> yeah. Compared to I could be out uh, having like I could be at a music festival or something on a Friday night. That in that sort of way, like it's still interesting, but not to the same degree. Can't you can't you understand though why? Um, going back to our conversation in April of this year, as remember, I was telling you about Connolly playing centre back for Vincent's. Like, can you after watching him play that way? Can you understand why? Like, his distribution is incredible. I don't. It was some that was you know, honestly like I, I was one takeaway you can get because it just kind of just ended up watching him even when yeah. the ball was yeah. elsewhere. Just kind of watching, go, where is he now? What's he doing? Um, and maybe this is something that Fenton or Macaulay are doing, uh, but we don't know is it. But it was. It definitely was very striking for me in the first half where he uh, he was coming back and it was at like a leisurely pace uh, and standing around the 65 uh, in Dublin's half in and almost a lot of the time facing the Tyrone goal with the play going on behind him in the like in the Tyrone into the Tyrone forward line he wasn't he was barely paying attention to it. like it wasn't like he was he was getting back but he wasn't getting back to chase the ball or Harry or anything he was almost getting set for when Dublin inevitably turned it over and he was going to be there he was looking surveying the options before he even had the ball in his hands which is a, it's an interesting when we talk about getting players back and blanket defences that someone might be there and they're alright they might fill space to an extent but he was just k- kind of keeping an eye on his man but once he was out of trouble once he wasn't a dangerous scorer or whatever that he wasn't going to do anything and he was more being set up for what looked like 
the inevitable turnover. Yeah, and that's the like if you're going to read Anton this game right, that's the takeaway I had as well actually. And the reason that I had that takeaway is because Dublin have an infinite number of strike runners. I mean, it seems like every does, and they've got a load of those water cards. But this one thing I thought they had a need for, and it was after watching Kerry play Mayo last uh, earlier this month, last month, sorry. The, that outlet that David Moran does, that distribution gets like from defense. The, the, and it's not an assist; it's like the transition from defense back into attack. And Connolly is a player who's able to do that more so than any other midfielder they have. Like if you're looking as a partner for Fenton against a team like Mayo, who'll do something different, that's what Connolly will bring. That's why I thought he came back all along. And I, I'm not saying this in hindsight because I actually said that at the time in April yeah. as well that if he comes back in midfield, is probably where he play. Just slight add-on as I completely see what you're saying about his positioning everything like that how he's playing the game you can't judge his performance based on the game played a half no. pace yeah. against second teams you know I just think that's that's important he Definitely. did look like he was alright but again if you just put that up 15% in Crow Park next week well, like, he yeah, could be left behind in, like, yeah. that's what I mean in terms of saying like ledge pace and that like a lot of players are just kind of jogging back and getting set in position whereas that's not going to happen in a proper match like it's it, it was it was actually I think it was nearly at a pace less than a challenge game. Yeah, like at least a I think so. Game, yeah, you're not. You don't. No one plays a challenge game six days out from an Ireland semi final. It's a different setup. <laughs> I would just like because I know we weren't meant to start with Connolly and it kind nope. of happened by accident. But we're there's no point in going back to yeah, it later. Down, and I do. Home. I want to make. Uh, I just want to ask you actually, like Mark actually is who I'll I'll, I'll turn to and ask this question. Uh, could I turn to you, Eamon, and ask you, John? <laughs> so, Mark, you're a perennial sub on the Killing Care intermediate slash senior team I'm just this has been the the narrative a little bit is if you're trying to get on that team desperately there you don't miss training session all year you come into the championship you're getting into the you know the quarterfinal championship you've had no game time and Johnny come lately comes home from Australia just in time for the quarterfinals and he gets boosted straight into the team he hasn't done any of the work with you he hasn't done any of the, he hasn't had any of the commitment you're there all year does it affect your morale or are you saying look at sure I just want to win I just want to win the championship I don't really care how we do it or who's playing uh, probably there's probably a, what was that that uh, film with Matthew McConaughey where it's like when you give an option A or B there's always C I can't remember yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> there's, a, there's no need to even go for Wall Street. Uh, no, no. <laughs> definitely wasn't that. Um, but there's another bit there where it's kind of like it was, it's not necessarily Johnny come lately that is the issue. You really have to look yourself and go. Well, if this fellow's just been parachuted back in, like it's not him that is the. What would you say? How do you describe it? It's not him's like, problem. You're not good enough. If you have, yeah, <laughs> if you have one to fifteen, and you're kind of looking at him coming in and you're going, Jesus, how could I not get in ahead of him? You need, I always look at it that you need to be, like club football in particular is uh, inundated with lads at, at sitting at the bar after games, moaning and whinging to other about blah, 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 not getting playing and I should be in the team and I thought I should brought on ahead of this lad or the other lad. Whereas you need to aim to be in the top 10 people on the team and that way if you're in the top 10 you're going to play there's yeah. no possible way that you're getting it so if you're 10 to 15 or 10 to 20 it's you know it, it can be a toss-up this person and maybe you would have done you know if such and such got on ahead if i got on ahead of this lad it would have done better than them maybe maybe not the same with Connolly. like if you look at players who are just outside the 
Dublin starting team or just outside a sub that might come on. It's like, well, you've got to make yourself into yeah. that player who's going to, you know, guaranteed to come on, who's got, who's, who's done so much. Like Cormac Costello would have been, say, for the last couple of years, where it's like, he was like, everyone's like, Jesus, Cormac Costello has to start. How is he, you know, how is he going to fit into this team? That kind of thing. If you make yourself into that type of player. Indispensable kind then, of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas... I suppose... I, I get what you're saying, but I, I suppose from a Dublin point of view, it might be slightly different than Killing Care. Is they've just won four four All Irelands in a row. They're winning all their matches by twenty points. These guys are doing everything that they could possibly do, and a player who absolutely is going to add to them. He's one of the best footballers we've ever seen on his day. I suppose like that. But when you have given this commitment, and he was off to America three weeks ago, and something went wrong, or a month and a half ago, whatever it was and you're probably going to win the All-Ireland without him, and you've given all this commitment, and there's a guy going to lose his place in the 26, and there's possibly a guy going to lose his place coming onto the pitch, or even a starting lineup. Like, what do you think about it? See, uh, yeah. I, think, I think you have to at least question what it does to the group. I really do. Like, so there's, like, yeah, probably two different things from, from my own perspective. It's like, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted even about these conversations, to be honest. Like, I, I think there's two, we don't really know why he left the panel we don't really know what was going on in America there was a story Carlo Kane had a story last April that Connolly was the only club player for Vincent wearing GPS that Dublin players and notoriously wear GPS in club players and only one player in the pitch was wearing it so if he was wearing GPS in April why was he off to America that sort of, there's just too much speculation around that for me to really I don't I don't know to be honest on that the other thing though is and that's just on I was just sorry I'm just saying that hypothetically sure though. sure like yeah there's definitely like but on, even people in the panel will think the same as we do in a way you know yeah. if there's a secret between him and Jim Gavin to, for him to come back all along that doesn't help Onogara exactly and know? on that right like is there is there a certain element of what makes these intercon- I was watching Lee Keegan at the weekend that's, and I, there was a stage where he's facing Michael Murphy and there's stuff going on all around him and he only has eyes for Michael Murphy like he's solely dedicated and I think he did his job very well and I remember watching it like you're doing that probably to the detriment of your chance of winning an all-star or any sort of praise or acted after the game like Keegan wasn't going to he's not romp before the way Durkin yeah. was because his job was Michael Murphy and he did it like diligently absolutely entirely for the sake of his team like he was entirely selfless and he won't get praised for it really beyond you know the maybe somebody noticing that he's an alright job on, on Michael Murphy but he's entirely selfless and in the same way do you remember Bulger you know Onagara's goal which we're actually going to talk about in a second Bulger's coming in down that line I was thinking if I am a young player breaking into this Dublin team and that's me coming in down that side line I'm hammering that going for a goal like I'm trying to make a, an impression I'm trying to make a statement I'm that is me my name in lights there I'd be on the front page of the Irish Independent or whatever newspaper on the, on the Monday morning that was what's going through my head and he pops the ball across the box now he didn't do that for his own sake he did that for his team he's in there like these I think it's becoming more and more common that the best players are just entirely selfish like they're dedicated to their team and their team's best attributes that's why they're elite and i'm not and that because i would have i'm telling you like i've done it in club <laughs> games i've I've, yeah. I've absolutely taken the option and gone for goal so that's it's there, there's something in it that these players yeah. i think yeah. it's, it's becoming a, a commodity now is that selflessness there's, al- there's uh, also a thing of like that it's not playing black and white that's what like it's hard to describe when you're saying oh, would you be pissed off or would you be united it's like well, yeah, but also, yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean you yeah, kick up. Like, you can be annoyed at something and go on with mm. life and, you know, just pass. Like, even, like, the whole shit of, like, oh, it'll sacri- you know, I know what you're saying about maybe players at elite level, but again, Lee Keegan, he's, he's going to win on Ireland it's on the pitch. It's easy to say when you're yeah. playing. Keegan, yeah. But, like, 
I think in general, if you're so like if you're so, someone who's not getting on, I don't know who I'm going to think like hypothetically whoever it is that's on the Dublin uh, panel, Eric or, Lowne, say or he someone yeah, who might get any game yeah. time. Like it's it's hard to fucking get g'd up for a winning anything it's just like oh yeah you know you're going around patting lads at the back after game and well done and everyone's giving you well done and you're like I was just standing here like <laughs> didn't do anything so like if if Jeremy Colley's coming in and you win the Ireland or you don't win the Ireland with him like it's not the be all and end all of it's not yeah. the reason you're going to like, yeah, well, yeah you mightn't be getting the game anyway yeah, like, yeah, yeah. the last point I want to say in this is that there's definitely a bit of uh, evil genius stuff about Jim Gavin oh, that, that you, but, it, but it also it makes because you don't doubt that he could be capable of anything there's also part of him that plays such a long game that it's like what you were saying about that goal right if he doesn't pass that and buries it into the top corner he might be on the front page of the end up but Jim's probably calling him in at the next training session saying the That's smart knows, move yeah. is passing that ball yeah. you didn't do right for the team and you've actually fallen down the ranks a little bit yeah I've no whereas doubt you could yeah. have, whereas what he did was probably step up the ranks and he's probably gone from you know 29 to 26 or 25 yeah. on the rankings or whatever right but I think also what happened, what I would be wondering is, is Gavin saying, one, I want to win the All-Ireland, and Connolly is, it's not as if he's from the outside either. He's been gone for a year and a half, and he was a huge part of that team. He was one of the leaders of that team. He's a teammate to all these guys. But also, he wants to bring him in, wants to win All-Ireland with him. But then also, I'd say he's watching for every single reaction of the kind of thing that I'm talking about here. And those lads, he's thinking about them in two or three years. And it's like, right, what did you do when this shit decision went against you? And you were effed off the panel. Act, yeah. And did you come to training and give it even more? And did you pat the lads in the back and make sure that, that we were going to win All Ireland as a group, so that when they go on and Stephen Cluckton says it's not just about the twenty six on the field, it's about the entire panel of ninety seven, you know, that you actually it actually means something and where you part of that. And I think that Gavin is looking for that. Like that is the one person I think I would feel sorry for is whoever's the number twenty seven yeah. on All Ireland final day that doesn't get in because Connolly's there just to get tugged out but again I think but it's going to be a test for that but it's also as I was saying is that it's like if you're a sub who doesn't come on I don't know if there's as much of a difference between that and not being in the panel or the match day squad but uh, both of them are going to say yeah just on that is that thing like I was saying of like Brian Fenton isn't going to get dropped from the Dublin panel for match day panel for uh, Connolly or Jack McCaffrey and that's probably just what you need to whoever it is is going to have to get to that level that doesn't matter. Yeah. Whether the don't give the manager a choice. Yeah. I didn't want to start the show about Jimmy Connolly. I want to start the show on something far more important, lads. <laughs> Pam goals. Since I brought this up, there was another four this weekend, and it illustrated my point perfectly. Right. <laughs> so there was what we saw was two that looked brilliant. There was Kenny O'Connor's, which was dropped, was a shot that dropped short, and there was um, Luke Connolly's for Cork. Jane Lockery had one as well. But then the other one is Onagara's one, which is the one that I'm talking about, which I don't like, which is... So the difference for people who didn't hear this is I think pan goals should be banned when it's coming off a hand pass. I think off a kick pass is okay, but off a hand pass, I just think it's it's too often the easy option. And the alternative, we saw it this weekend. My campaign is up and running because the Cork and 20s were brilliant in their fight back against Dublin in the other final scored a volley instead of a Pam goal so it was a now in fairness he didn't really have much he, he didn't have a choice yeah. but it's the that we're getting that's the scenario that I, I want to see that it's you would where you would see the intrusion is it becomes from the hand pass not from the the goal scorer so the hand pass is there it's delivered at a nice height for the volley so what, if people didn't see this Blake Murphy 
Um, so it's similar to the Dublin chance. Like they, they've overrun the defense. You've got runners from all sides. Player hand pass the ball across, and instead of catching it, which was probably his only other alternative, he hit it on the right foot on the volley and scored a goal. And that's the scenario that I want to get to. Now it was pointed out on Twitter after my last. Um, I'm not going to say rant, but my last point in this. Don't foul did highlight that. Um, don't foul the Twitter account. Sorry, did point out that the. Actually, was this was there wasn't really an increase this year, so the attempts were down on goals that came out from via the hand. That it's just kind of a reversion to the well to 15, 16, 2015, 2016 levels. But nevertheless, my point is that the skill in itself, and the this weekend dem- demonstrated it perfectly. We saw the the good, which I want to see. We all saw the bad. Yeah, definitely. And like, look, it had kids out trying to replicate it on last night. Uh, there was a a twenty nine year old man by the name of. M. Farley, uh, <laughs> 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 one of his friends, who's about to turn 30, who <laughs> was like, you see that car goal? <laughs> Quick, cross it in. <laughs> so it shows you. <laughs> it inspires oh, people. The future, the future is right. With these 29-year-olds out trying new things. Um, Pam goals, though, right? There's another point. I made the point, and I still stand by it. I still am very conflicted by it because I'm not sure a team should be penalised by the type of O'Gara goal that happens because of a massive overrun where an attacking team has left defence for dead. And I don't think... I think they should be getting three points out of that, you know? And I don't know if we need to make it harder. The other side of it, though, is where I do agree with you is that they're generally game killers because what happens is... That, that that sort of exposure happens because one team is chasing a game and maybe I think it happened maybe the Cork game against Dublin where they'd got a bit of a run and they were coming back and they were three or four points down and Dublin got a goal like that where it was just right game over and it had to happen because the defence had to come out and just and just Push be it, caught yeah. on the break and what happens then suddenly you're left with three on one you give the easy pass in and it's the pa- double palm into the net so I think Dublin have scored one in every game this year in the Championship could be wrong about that, but they scored a good few. They always get them. They have for years. Yeah, and it's, as you said, it's just it's demonstrative of their overrunning teams. Like it's, yeah. they, they've got so many strike runners who, who can do that. The one thing, though, whatever about the Pam goal, the fist and the ball over the bar. I know we're, we're literally talking about the exact same thing we talked about a few weeks ago. We're going over it again, but just there were more examples of it at the weekend. Andy Moran. Andy Moran electing the fist the ball over the bar where there was the opportunity for a goal. Uh, at Sean O'Shea electing to bury it in the top corner with the outside of his boot coming in at a tight angle it's like that is you see the there's, a, there's an angle on Twitter from someone who was just on the sideline so it's just basically right behind O'Shea as he takes it it's brilliant and that is what we need to encourage whatever about at least Pam goal is a goal you're going for it you're trying to work something there's a bit of ingenuity there rather than to, taking the feckin' sensible option which is not sensible yeah. unless you're... But it absolutely was for Andy Moran. That's, that's yeah. why it needs a rule change because he would have been mad to do anything else other than I that. To say but the rule change yeah. needs to happen because that, I think that put Mayo three, score, three points up in a, in a low-scoring game I think in maybe the 68-69. I mean, we knew there was yeah. about 10 minutes left at the time anyway because of all the injury time. But still, it was, it was a really big score and he can't risk not getting anything out of that against a good keeper like Patton. But if you change the rules, he has to think about what he's doing before like as soon as he gets the ball it's not a decision right when you're about to take the shot it's it's earlier on you can't just run up to the goalkeeper and then take the free score we're going to talk about Caramayo uh, sorry Caramayo <laughs> Donegal Mayo in in a second but just before we do uh one final piece of news that you know like every year you hear this thing about the the GA media campaign so the, I think the famous one was Brody the day before the Mayo game and he's talking about cynical fouling and 
there was it was a perceived effort to put pressure on a referee to cut down on or to be a bit more harsh whatever and you also hear like Mayo fans give out about the Dublin media and their media campaigns against Mayo and uh, Kerry fans but these kind of orchestrated whatever you want to call them agenda driven stuff can you think of a worse media campaign than this so the news has come true today that Kieran McGinney has been signed off on the Iran manager so if you trace a timeline on this if we're to go through it in the start of July a former Irma teammate of McGinney's wrote a letter that he wanted McGinney out of the job that he doesn't deserve it in response to that letter to name but a few, Kieran Donaghy, Park Joyce, Tomas O'Shea, Amy McGee, Stephen McDonald, Enda McNulty, all come out against it and round against him. Uh, Steve McDonald calls it a cheap shot and he said he'd be appalled by any member or former teammate who stooped so low. So it was fairly damning. Then Rory Gruden comes on our podcast and tells us that he's delighted by the reaction that that letter got and that all the players are 100% behind McGinney and that it's massive. Come the, the week after... Monday he goes to the clubs he's unanimously signed off and it takes him up to seven years in the Amara job so if Anatin, whoever wrote that letter at the start had the opposite effect like if McGinney wanted to get this job he could have written that letter how do you know he did he's a former Amara player he could have been very uh, you know introspective on his performance whoever, whoever wrote that letter had the opposite effect of what they wanted. Literally the opposite effect in terms of they galvanized everybody around McGinney and got him to, like assured of an extended turner it was in terms of their desired effect and the absolute effect it was polar opposites can I give you a quick quiz while we're talking about Kieran McGinney you might use Mark that, yeah. already knows the answer so this has to be all you right there are three managers who've been in the job longer than Kieran McGinney and three who are in at the same amount of time as Kieran McGinney that are still in the same job can you name them all um, this is football obviously so McGinney is there eight years no, McGinney's there five years. This is, he's done five years, so he will be there for another two. Oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there's two, there's two other managers who've had five years in charge, and there's one who's had six, and then there's more than Oh, this. so he actually, well, technically he's had six because he was a head coach in his first year, and then... Uh, no, and Grimley was, no, Grimley was manager. Yeah, 2015 yeah. was his first okay. year in charge, yeah. yeah. Just name the next five longest t- serve managers in the GA. Uh, Gaelic football, sorry. Yeah. So Jim Gavin. Yeah. Um. So, and there's another two. There's another four. four. There's another four. Yeah, you're forgetting one lad now that's a bit silly. Mickey Hart. There we go. <laughs> um, Mickey Hart's longer than all the rest of them combined, I think. Uh, Kevin Walsh. Kevin Walsh is the same as McGinney, yeah. He's he's had five years. Um, Hopefully we won't have any more. <laughs> um, There's two more to get anyway. There are two, you know, two, two managers who've done really, really good jobs from very low starting points. Um... Both would have taken over in Division 4, I would say. One of them is definitely not in Division 4 anymore, and the other team, has they've done a great job. Okay. <laughs> the other team, they've done that. <laughs> <laughs> they might be in Division 4 again next year. They might be. Ah, the other team, they're, they're happy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's people shouting at their podcast phones. I know. Ro- you could say one of these teams have been rising. Oh, but then gone. Stop rising, Carlo. Yes, yeah. Sherlock O'Brien. Sherlock O'Brien's had five years, and then, then the other. Sherlock O'Brien's had five years. Yeah, and the other has had six years in charge. He's a year ahead of McGinney, O'Brien, and you could say Walsh. he's a lovely rose, the sweetest girl I know. <laughs> I don't know, Queen <laughs> Olive Collins. Oh, God's sake! <laughs> I should have got that. Yeah. Mark did way better than you just for uh, for the listeners. Uh, he didn't get Turlock O'Brien though, but we'll move on, I suppose. Yeah, let's, let's. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mayo and Donegal, lads. Makes it throwing curveballs at us all, all throughout this podcast. Morris, pop quiz. Mark, compare your playing experience to that of the Dublin senior football team. <laughs> Right, lads. The Casabar, Casabar. The biggest takeaway I had from this game, I'm going to do something up on this later. The, the biggest takeaway, I'm gonna, like, isn't it good management? Like, good the, the, in terms of sitting down management. Remember, there was a moment after the game where uh, James Horn was in the Sky Studios. I don't know if anybody saw this, but he after the game he did an interview in Sky Studios and. Kieran Donaghy just said to him, geez, your tackling was great. Like, you must have been really happy with that. And James Horan said, oh, yeah, I just, you know, I caught a look at it there at half time just for a split second. I think it was something like 12 out of 15, um, 50 50 balls we won. Uh, our tackles to count us twice there, 60 to 30. Like, caught a quick look at it. He had those stats down. Like, somebody was feeding them those. And the good management is learning game on game. We know that. Like, that's what is ultimately good management. And if you look at what, how Mayo set up against Donegal, like, they knew. They might not have to be brilliant, but they just have to be better than Donegal. So what did they do? They watched the Kerry game, obviously, and decided, as we talked about Mark, we'll give Patton the short one, drop to the, like to the 45, tempt him into giving that short one, and that like, we're okay to lose possession there because we, as an unbelievably savage working team, can win it back. But if he bypasses us and goes to Murphy, McHugh coming on the break, we're in serious trouble. So d- d- gives him that short one. That's just this good management. Like Keegan on Murphy, we talked about it last week, and I mean, it was the obvious call because we said it on Friday that it was the obvious call. But at the same time, like sometimes managers can be try to be too clever than they need to be, and just the fact that he squared that off, got that match up right, I thought that was was good management. Sandy Connell is a brilliant sideline reporter. He's really this year. He's really impressed me, and particularly because he tells us stuff that we don't know what's going on. So there was the score. Do you remember Jason Doherty scored the monster? The score like he kicked from outside forty five. That score came they nearly two minutes of prolonged possession and yeah. Shane Connor had told us what was James Horan screaming on the sideline patient, patient, patient keep somebody up one of these stay up inside so one of Connor or Connor because we need to stretch them so you can't let them have a bank along the 45 and no, no outlet inside so you need to stretch them somebody in the inside and patient, patient that was what that score was be like and now their conversion was still really poor but in that scenario that's like, that's just good management just learning from past games not doing the Donegal and Tyrone we talked about it Mark the, like they're the scores they're the turnovers that kill teams nine of Mayo's scores at the weekend came from direct turnovers those that were just needlessly carrying the ball into a tackle getting turned over there and that, then it's a break there that's that's good management to, to do that James Carr's score was another example of that as well putting Durkin on uh, Brian McHugh was brilliant we saw Gavin White until he got black hearted against Kerry that was the impact he was going to have we, we could see he was trying to put him on the back foot get forward McHugh doesn't really try and tag them so he actually gives like, Durkin ended up kicking three points but that's good all those things are good management and you know they mightn't have been they mightn't have been as good as 
like we they can be the, 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 both teams are kind of for really if we're, if we're totally honest but just those like whatever about the the practice of it in theory how Horn set them up was really kind of clever it was just it was astute kind of reasonable management yeah definitely I thought like when we were talking about how do you stop Jack McCaffrey it was almost a similar you could ask the similar question about Ryan McHugh it's kind of like the, nearly the one and the same only McCaffrey probably is a bit more speed um, definitely has but uh the, for their ability to completely nullify, their ability to nullify him was amazing, especially for when you consider it a team that's not like, oh, we'll be thrown or whatever, we'll just throw everybody back behind the ball and cut down that space that you're not going to get it to run into. Like for Dur- Now, I know that's as much down to Durkin as it is to, or is it more down to Durkin than it is to Horn, but I presume there was also, I need to watch it back just to see what, as they did because that's not just a one that you can't do that as one player yeah. it's not a one player operation and so their ability to to I suppose put Donegal under pressure in the first half that like even in the second they got a bit more space but it was it, all the shots that they, they were taking on weren't they weren't missing that many easy chances like McHugh or Murphy missed a couple that he probably should have gotten yeah. but he was still trying to sometimes he was trying to manufacture something out of nothing now that Donegal obviously didn't nearly probably you could say they didn't show up um, but a lot of it is like if you don't have Ray McHugh busting through if you don't have other players coming from the back line other players coming from midfield that can add that you know for quick in, you know you've seen it actually the chance remember who was it that uh, it was, did it end up in a score where uh, Killian O'Connor had that there was a, a really quick interchange from the Mayo team in the first half that that kind of thing that Donegal are great at as well, but was completely cut out. Yeah, like and Mick, that's actually what I'm talking about here. Like the, like remember we talked a couple of weeks ago, Mick, about you know if you were to sit down a really basic tenement for any sport, there's a really simple hierarchy of the things you should prioritize if you're going mm-hmm. into a game. So there was clearly there's an overarching game plan, and that is that either a you try and hit a man on the inside. If you can't hit a man on the inside, you wait. You're patient in your build up, and that like there's not it's there's no there's it's painfully obvious what it was because Cone clearly wasn't doing it he got hooked early and the reason I think he got hooked early was because he rushed a shot after 16 minutes rushed took a, a, a really stupid was pot shot he got blocked out exactly he got blocked that, that yeah, shot that, out that, the left. I actually thought that was one of his I thought it was unfair on Cohen. But really and that a lot of the time he was isolated and that time he was as well but it was probably not that the shot got blocked down but that he didn't that he took the shot on yeah the exactly yeah, he needs a cycle there yeah. and he didn't stick to yeah. it exactly so you need to three people it, it, then. So it, and Horn was like we know this because Sandy Connor told us that Horn was screaming this during the game you need to be patient wait recycle possession in that scenario also stay on the inside stop just drifting out because we if you what a defence like Donegal wants is every single team are going to defend at their 45 line they'll get a huge amount of bodies there but if there's nobody inside like an option like Kieran O'Connor for his goal for example if there's no one in there it's the easiest thing in the world to defend because you know a kick pass isn't coming you know it's going to be a shot or someone tried to run through us that's yeah. like there's it's so one dimensional in that scenario and Horan clearly knows that and that's yeah. and Cohen wasn't doing it that's why he, and, and if you want one man who will do that will show on the inside and wait 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 that's Andy Moore that's, that's why he say, came he's on. so perfect for it isn't he like you yeah. know Moran, it's exactly what he does but that's good management too yeah. to, to recognise and get Cohen out of there so early and, and no like you deserve you praise Moran for doing the job as well but yeah. as like you, it was so clear that Horn had a, a plan and if you're not going to this goes back to our conversation earlier earlier you, if you don't stick to our plan that this we need to do today to win this game you're coming off you're, you're gone and and he'll he'll drill that into his team and i think it's just it's really telling in a game like that that even though like i thought only god report we'll get into that 
you know their some of the conversion was was woeful but at the same time the plan that was in place was actually pretty uh like good like it was yeah. it was it was good management you'd be so frustrated with Donegal and I think I can lead us on to that while talking about another aspect of Mayo's um, play which was just like we'd mentioned it like just the pressure that they put on Donegal never let them settle into the game and never let them um, never let them just be easy on the ball set up those kind of strike runs that we talked about and they just did it relentlessly and there was a moment actually uh, uh, Shane Davern on Twitter actually pointed this out to me when we were talking about the, the you know after the match um, that Sean, it was two points now score for Donegal. Donegal, Mayo had started a little bit shaky actually, but they were doing that kind of pressure. And Sean Patton ran out with the ball and was caught in possession by I think it was Aidan O'Shea, Aiden wasn't O'Shea, it? That's and Aiden O'Shea's trademark tackle is he comes at you both. He comes yeah. at you like a forklift. It's both hands at you, hits you with his chest, and then he's you're trapped. You can't go anywhere. He's, exactly, he's a yeah. genius at it. And the ref did what Mark always loves the ref does just decided because he's trapped it's over carrying no, <laughs> no matter how long he's had the ball for and it was a free in for Mayo and they got off the mark and I think there was um, what Shane was pointing out to me was like he thought in that moment that Donegal were in trouble and I have to say it did stand out to me but I'm not, I'm not sure of that but I thought that it, it did two things it, it showed where Donegal weren't up, weren't ready for it. Not, not up for it, but they weren't ready for this kind of defence and they didn't really know how to adjust. And for, it just wasn't the game for a goalkeeper to kind of go running into trouble like that, you know? Yeah. And, and I don't think they adjusted for the rest of the match. I don't think they ever really figured out a way of moving the ball quickly so that they could be comfortable in position so they could get away from those crazy tackles. And two is that if Mayo didn't start that great and that was what they were going out with their game plan, they were 2-0 down, they hadn't done anything really to that point. What a fill-up that was to kind of keep going. This is the game plan. This is what it's going to do for us. And it takes your best player to go and do it and to go and challenge a goalkeeper and win a free in. But they never, ever stopped and relented for the rest of the match after that one moment. It was actually a huge moment, like, you know. But, uh, yeah, I suppose if that moves us on to Donegal, like, I, why? You just think what you're talking about there with the recycling and more and, and everything like that, plus what I'm talking about, which is them not being able to in any way react to the pressure that Mayo are putting on them, the swarm, how can they... Just Can you just imagine them looking in the mirror this week and saying, after the season that we've had, where you go out and have so many borderline perfect performances, to just be so flat-footed in both attack and defence in a game like that, where they... Like let's face it, I think Donegal are a better team than Mayo at the moment. Like yeah. you know, and they just didn't show up and at all. Game, despite at all, Mayo and were, kicked it away. There's yeah. three things they did. Like yeah, the, the game was there to be won in the second half for Donegal. Yeah. And even when I against myself now, I said I can remember. I'm now now remember that there are more. There were more scores in the second half there that they were missing. That they should have like Paddy McBrearty didn't bring the shooting with boots with him. Jamie Brennan, I don't think he scored now in two games. No, didn't score in the last two um, games. Like they're. A few of them firing on all cylinders. Yeah. I can't see Langan winning that not game. Not like just getting into those positions that you want the forward yeah. in and doesn't have the shot for Michael it. Murphy like, was you know? like, you talk to one person to say he was the only player he kept them in it on his own. And then other people but say he's in bad he, whites, he kicked it yeah. away. Yeah. Trying to yeah. do all. But like, so, so on that, right, you're talking about their attacks. So they had, they had 46 attacks. Of those 40 attacks, they scored 110. So you're talking about 46. So Mayo, by the way, had 40 attacks. They had 35 shots. 28 for Donegal which is poor enough as well and then from that shots from play 22 so their conversion was like abysmal their figures unprecedented uh, in terms of how bad they were in this game like they're in terms of so they're I, I think they're I actually think defensively like I thought McMinniman wasn't bad but attacking wise I think they were all over yeah, the place so I absolutely all this defensively they were actually alright I thought they're ta- like they did adapt quickly or well to 
the fact that put Murphy on the inside, it was exactly as we had talked about it on Friday, where we were like, right, well, you were talking about Keegan is able to track him everywhere and he'll have that athletic ability. And then we could talk about physically, though, if there, and Peter Canavan literally said the sentence at, before the game, he was previewing it. He, he questioned Keegan going to Murphy. He says, that's all well and good, but what happens if Donegal move Murphy into full forward and what happens under the high ball? And yeah, the referee will give a penalty that's not yeah. a penalty. But yeah. uh, but they swapped Cone pretty quickly after that. Yeah. A, uh, but it also wasn't a penalty. Like there was a like Donegal were given a few lifelines and couldn't react yeah. to it. I don't know how well they did adapt. I think they did, like as in they might have adapted on the line, as in put Murphy inside, whatever it is. I don't think they adapted on the field. I never thought they got the full pace at all. So and on that idea, right? On uh, on Mark, what you were saying as well, like this there's the game is coming. The game is changing. Gaelic football is changing. It's coming back to be a more offensive game. We've all, we've talked about this at length on this podcast. But you remember a while ago, I said there's only two teams this year who I, th- I can see beating Dublin this year, and it's Mayo and Kerry. And I, don't, and I don't see why. The reason why is that I like it's so okay. Like a lot goes into coaching. Coaching is a really there's an innovative and clever and the stuff that we don't appreciate because we're not coaching inter county teams. Of of course, I'm willing to uh, accept that. But 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 for for years and years defensive aspects were prioritised in training that's where most time was spent that's where and there's some innovative things done in that but there wasn't the same prioritising of attacking work within a game so in training that's you practice what you're going to do in a game and defence was prioritised and I think that's still evident in certain teams so what was Mayo's what was Donegal's plan Sari when they, their plan against Tyrone we'll go back to that game again what was their plan? Their attacking plan was totally wrapped up in their defensive plan. It was getting that turnover, getting the ball to Brennan, McBearty, and we scored then, Murphy, whatever. That, so there, but their attacking plan is still interlinked and reliant on their defensive plan. So it's that's where they're prioritizing all the time. And the reason for that is, and like, I, I did a, I meant, I've mentioned this before, I did a coaching seminar earlier this year and I spoke to, um, I spoke to a, somebody who's involved in inter-county coaching this year, right? And I, I said this to him. I was like, "Do you like what do you think about the defensive work teams are doing now? Is is why is it seem that they're prioritizing that over attacking stuff?" And he and he admitted this to me. It's like because it's so much easier to coach. It's so you get a team fit, get them organized, and they drop back to a certain line, and they're organized, and you don't need to work on attacking interlinking play. And this is true for any sport. It's so much easier to organize a team defensively, get them fit, get them back organized in the way, and then you, uh, compared to attack, there's a lot of interlinked things. Look at. Uh, basketball rugby the amount of stuff that goes into attacking play is huge that's not true for defense like you can get to a certain extent you can get quite far by getting organized defensively and i think it's still obvious in teams like donegal that they're not their their fixation their focus is still enwrapped in the defensive aspect of the game and not attacking wise and the reason that that is so ridiculous as an not ridiculous i don't want to be too harsh here but the reason that that doesn't make sense in game stuff right there's a study done by it carlo they published results last week and it's brilliant i'd encourage everyone to go read it column clear by the way you can see this on twitter if you want so he said where like are we coaching these scenarios as often as they appear in games these are scenarios so he took did a research paper and this is on hurling and he covered every single game in the 2015 All-Ireland Championship and these are the scenarios where what what teams most commonly start teams with possessions this is what should be prioritized in training and it's counter-attack starting from inside their own 45 that's number one that's 25% counter-attack starting between the 45s that's 16% opposition long puckouts one that's 16% those top three they're all attacking platforms they're all that should be when you're going to train in Mark for club teams, that's what you should be orientating like. And this is, I'm, I'm certain these scenarios are the same for football. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of it. So if that's when you're getting most possession, if that's what should be, that should be prioritized in training. When you go to training, why am I like, 
I'm not being critical of anybody here, but why am I going to train it and spending for the first hour doing defensive drills, working on tracking back, getting back to the 45, doing these drills where it's 5v4 and you're getting back to the defense team? Because it's easier to coach than trying to... What's our scenario when we're counterattacking from the 45? What's our scenario when we're counterattacking from the 45s? What, when we do, what do we do with the ball when we turn over a kick out? How are we going to... They're attacking platforms and it's really... It's intricate and it's, it's detailed and forensic and stuff I probably I definitely couldn't coach and none of us here could coach but nevertheless if you were trying to be a successful coach that's what you should prioritise and the effects of it I think are still obvious in certain teams It's also a vicious circle because you then go for teams who are trying to coach a bit more attacking like most a lot of the attacking drills you'll do are, uh, in match situations are guess what breaking down a blanket defence so it's all about the attacking situation where you're camped at the opposition for five. Yeah. And trying to get through, uh, you know... Yeah, not the uh, breaks. Yeah, incredible amount of players. And that can have a... Uh, I'm just wondering, this is just based on what you're saying, so it could be completely wrong. I'm just talking out my arse, which is what have been you. Um, like, does that have an effect on some of the Donegal forwards as well? In that, if you're up in you know a lot of games uh, in either club championship or in Ulster over the years historically, you're in a blanket defence where players are almost more aware, more um, worried about covering the space the necessary the player and you get a yard they're almost like you can have that ball because we're going to we're going to get we're going to all get around you and yeah. choke you or you can you want to shoot from out there go shoot from out there look at what happened say in the Ulster Championship with Donegal so what did Donegal do under no pressure kicks her over the side kicked them over from the sideline whereas Mayo are the John Cena of Gaelic <laughs> football he right not that he, he's been around for years one of the greats of all time but still in the shadow Careful, of uh, pa- other greats such as you know, The Rock, Stone Cold, Steve Austin. They're the Dublin. And uh, Dublin. John Cena's Mayo. John Cena arrived, made his WWE j- debut. Kurt Angle issued an open challenge oh, to course. anybody to come out. John Cena came out and he had two words for him. Ruthless aggression. <laughs> that is Mayo. They are just constantly up your arse. You can't get a second. It's like every one of their defenders, you, you just can't get, you know, you're going for every ball going, oh, Jesus, I need to catch this first time. I need to go hell for leather for it because they are going to be, they're going to murder me if I have any sort of hesitation. You're rushing everything, rushing shots. You're kicking them over your shoulder when you're still coming running out from goal when you're go, because they're going that hard to try and get the ball. You're getting it and you're like, it's the, like Andy Moran can, you know, like we're talking about wanting to, if you're in the full forward line, wanting to move left and right rather than running out. Many times Michael Murphy win the ball, we're saying he kicked a couple of wides. They were all him coming running straight away from goal and trying to kick it Turn back over, over shoulder, shoulder yeah. it's left or right. Yeah. Because they're constantly up your arse because they're John Cena. <laughs> no, it's a really good point because it, it, what, and forget about John Cena, right? What, uh, what Mayo did might have been better than what they've done this year and they might have been more up for it and more aggressive but it's not exactly a random out of nowhere tactic for Mayo it's like Mark saying that's what they do so how come Donegal weren't ready for that how come their attack or whatever was to play the way they've played all year how come there wasn't a specific game plan for Mayo that they were ready for and I don't know whether they underestimated them or whether they didn't apply it or whether they didn't have one. It could be anything. Can we don't I, have a clue. But you'd want, you would question, like, it, 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 obviously Bonner and Rochford as well. Can I bring in my 30-second winch here? Um, because it's one of the reasons. It's definitely not the main one. We only stretch the foundation, but I just want to have a bit of a winch. Sure. You're away in three, two, one. Lads, the rain. What are we going to do about it? I think we need to move. I know whatever without shortening the calendar, we should change Gaelic football and hurling. That it's only played. It's like cricket. It gets rained off. If it's wet, 
we call it a day, lads. That, like, it was one of the, the biggest game of the year so far in the championship. We're all looking forward to it. And then we have to go out into those sort of conditions to try and play football. And it has a massive effect on how the game is played. If, but like we're saying about Mayo being up lads' arses, what do you, like, that means that like, wet ball is going time. to skid everywhere. I'm going on to the tactic. I was just giving out with the rain. Now I'm going on to tactical. We lock out. This is the winch. But like, you have to be so precise with your passing. You can't just have a ball just hopping in in front of someone. It's going to skid off somewhere. Handling's going to be so hard. If you have someone coming off your shoulder quickly, or anyone's getting a hand in as you're trying to catch the ball, it's going to spray away from you. Everything is done differently because it's wet, and it. I think it had to have an effect. It had an effect obviously on both teams, but all of that stuff that we're talking about with Donny Gallo, why didn't they do this? Why did the other? It's just so much more difficult. Yeah, it's a fair thing to bring up. Like, yeah, uh, also they couldn't even wipe it off the screen for most of the first yeah. half. It was you couldn't even watch the match. Because <laughs> could it like make, could it be as simple as um, like so we know we know what Mayo's attacking plan was because we know what James Warren was shouting on the sideline. Now he's obviously focused on that in training as well. So we know he wanted a man inside. We know he wanted to be patient with possession. We also know how Donegal have attacked all year. So if you go back to the Kerry game, two players had 60 possessions between them. Two players. That's Murphy and McHugh. So if you were sitting down and you're saying, how do we limit them attacking-wise? What if we fixated on like getting our matchup right on McBrearty, McHugh, Murphy? And let's say... like. Remember, Mark, we talked about this percentage-wise before. Let Liam McLoon have the ball inside in the square, one-on-one to the goalkeeper. Let him have it there, and he take on the left foot and he kick it wide, because it's less likely. <laughs> like, and I'm, I'm not having a go at him. but no, like, it's true, like, though. But, like, <laughs> but didn't like, Liam McLoon click one wide at the end? That's what, I, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. what, that's what I mean. That's, and ended up on his arse, that's, I think. That's, yeah. that's what I mean. Like, you say, you sitting down, and your your plan to limit Donegal is, right, we'll, we'll double up on, when Michael Murphy comes in, Cohn, you mark him, Keegan, you sleep in front of him, and if somebody else is free, it's okay if he has possession because the percentages are that for them to be successful, McHugh and Murphy need the ball. So let's say we let let McLoon take that shot from out there and you know, let Gallen kick a pot shot from the sideline. Let him do it. Just like it does. It doesn't matter. Fix it on limiting their main. Like and this is like I know. Are you going to go into the bit that I'm thinking of here? What? Did that mean coach was right all along? That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we ridiculed, we didn't ridicule, but we laughed about what Colin Malley said about me in terms of setting, <laughs> setting up against him as being one. We, and we laughed at him, but, but I can understand where he's coming from. I can understand where he's coming from in that if you limit those, if you were to fix it, like, I don't think Donegal against Kerry drilled in on David Clifford and in, in his absence, Splan stood up, O'Shea stood up. Like, they, um, Bargaini stood up. They stood up. They they stood up in his absence. And if you drill down on Donegal, that was the question for Donegal was if you drill down, if you really fix it on those two or three key personnel, what happened outside of them? That may, like, th- um, and that's a really simplified version of of looking at it. But I, I think there might yeah. be something in it. Probably yeah, have too true. many forwards that can't yeah. score. Like you know, even if the circumstances are right, Langan's not going to put up a big score. O'Donnell's not. That's the thing that you know that like now you know, like top played well like yeah, for man he's on the side line yeah. oh he is though he is going to be a mass and he, and he did get scored on at the weekend um, he definitely but, he got yeah. one of the, the first points they got you're banking on them folding under the pressure of the, of the like the you know like McHugh Murphy McBrady they've been railroaded they're well worn tested they'll deal with that pressure and they'll still kick scores and those, all yeah, those players can't that's what, you're banking on them folding in those circumstances that's yeah. what you're banking on O'Donnell did what you'd expect from a young player yeah. coming in the senior team uh, but it's it was it's really McBrady Brennan the scores that you're counting on from them that didn't come exactly yeah is the, is the main thing yeah. and again 
I don't know how many reasons there are for it, but sometimes it can be just as plain as it just wasn't, you know, a bad day at the office. It was just a bad day at the office. Yeah, I, I, my question, I suppose, now is, and I, look, we'll talk about it more on Friday, but how much was it a Donegal bad day in the office? And how much, like, both things are true. Mayo played well and Donegal didn't, but how much have Mayo. How much have Mayo brought themselves on as a factor, I suppose, in this championship? Because you have to judge everything by how badly Donegal played. But when the chips are down and they needed to get a win at home, and they like it's kind of twice this year they've gone and done it as well. Like you know, if you look at the the Galway game as well, like you know yeah. that was I suppose more so than the Armagh game. I judged the Galway game of like Mayo had two massive must win games this year. And they went out and did it both times, and they're still alive, like, and they're not in the semi final without anyone really arguing that they've done anything that spectacular. But, like, I, like, are you, um, a final point on this um, before we move on, are you, are you having any of my uh, attacking prioritizing over defense theory, yeah. right? Because the reason I bring it up is because, like, I just wonder, you know, Mayo have this incredible ability to let teams, like, finish really close against every team they finish with, like, wins or losses. They, they, And I wonder how much that is enwrapped up in their... If you're so... Like, the reason I think coaches are so fixed up on defensive is it'll get you a certain amount. So let's say Mayo focus on their attacking shape, which is something that they need to work on, but don't focus on how they're going to help really talented backs around the ball so that they might be liable to be hit by a strike runner or whatever. That will let teams... like Teams will get so far in that. So, like, if... It, they will always have slight frailties in defence because they, they haven't ironed out those kinks. So that will always, always let teams in to a certain extent. But they're hope they're banking on the fact that like you score ten, we'll score eleven, whatever that like so they're they're banking on the, the other opportunity of that, which is why they'll always let teams into games, but why they're hoping that they'll see themselves out more often than not. So if you go back to their losses like that's what I, I was really impressed by their I, I mentioned this in the podcast at the time their movements their way their attackers moved away from the ball like O'Connor and Cohn seemed to be in sync against Galway I was in the stands watching this and the way O'Connor dragged Kernans each way like that was he's not doing that that's work, worked on like he, that is, is such a clear plan what he's doing there and they, they, that's it coming out on the field and that's why they got the result that day one of the reasons they got the result that day simultaneously if you look at the, the game at the weekend I think that stuff was, was clear that it, it's being worked on and that's why maybe there's frailties elsewhere but they're banking on that aspect of fixing and that and I wonder is that why Mayo like seem to always perform to the exact same level as their opposition and come out on either side of it is because that they're they're banking on that gamble like that ultimate gamble that we'll and Kerry seems to be doing that to a certain extent too like we'll score more than you let let this become descend to to be a shooter and the thing is the reason that I think that because there's no team in the country as comfortable as playing percentages as Dublin are. And I, the only way you can ever force them into the red, into risk, like into kicking a ball and that is liable to go wide or it's liable to drop short as opposed to strike runners from everywhere and being dead comfortable is if you play that way. It's the only, you, you will, like, they will play the percentages and they will happily do so against anybody else. But if you can force them the other way, I think you might have a chance. That's where, that's where the, the question mark is. So what you're saying is Mayo... Even though they've only got the, what was it, seven days turnaround, even though they've lost two games already in this year's championship, even though they just about scraped through against Donegal, just about scraped through against Armagh, uh, were under pressure for a, a bit of a period there against Galway, even all that being said... They're going to beat Dublin next weekend. You'll have to listen to Friday's podcast, Mark. Whatever <laughs> <laughs> about the war in the field, lads, 
door on the terraces and GA fans gas like Mick you know this more <laughs> you know this better <laughs> know? Than, than anybody um, so this weekend we had Mick was the centre of uh, worldwide controversy <laughs> no, the, the, nationwide the nationwide controversy for, for, by praising Mayo which is I, I, I guess laughable thing to do I suppose you know because that's uh, Mayo are the most polarising team in the world like <laughs> I think in in Maybe not in the world. Maybe in Ireland. There's definitely a kind of a Liverpool Man United thing to them a little bit as well. But like, I would have a lot of issues with the way certain Mayo fans talk about themselves. I like can. They're they're great fans in one way, and it's so class to see in in Casabar on Saturday night how much they turn out for their team and how much they love their team. And you'd almost wish more counties were like it. But then they also have the ability to put themselves at the center of the world, and that everything. The only thing that matters in the GEA is what it happens regards Mayo. Right, that's exactly. fine. That's and we all know it's really Cavan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're not too far off this yourself, to be honest. Uh, but look, that's just, that's them being a fan. That's their prerogative. But it does annoy other people. But then the other side of it is everybody who bloody hates them and the rest of the thing. So what I said on, and we talked about this in the podcast, so we, I don't know if we need to get into the debate or not, but it's absolutely debatable. I'm in no way saying it as a definitive fact. But I said, having reached eight, all-Ireland semi-finals out of the last nine years they had one bad year last year having been beaten by the eventual All-Ireland champions oftentimes in a replay four times in a replay by a point a lot of the times they've in in that spread of time they have beaten Dublin in the championship one of only two teams to do so they've drawn with them three times in semi-final or final and they have lost to them by a point three times in semi-finals or finals. Nobody has anywhere near that record. And given that Dublin are now widely accepted as the greatest team of all time, and this is actually me praising Dublin and putting them on an even higher pedestal than that as being miles ahead of any team that's ever existed. With that said, I consider Mayo and the type of heart and, you know, never say die that they showed on Saturday night to come back from nowhere and beat this well fancy Donegal team. I, can, I consider Mayo one of the best teams of all time. And when I say that, I mean top 15, top 20 teams of all time, right? One In the conversation. The only team probably that haven't won All-Ireland that I would put in there, but I think their record over the last 10 years is clear and obvious as to why that would be, right? That the era that they're in, etc., etc. So I just said, eight All-Ireland finals out of nine, blah, 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 one of the best teams of all time. And explosions happened. I was accused of being from Mayo, which was the worst thing that anybody could possibly ever say to me. (laughs) Uh, You know, and so on and so forth. It was just insane. Dublin fans, absolutely furious at this. Despite the fact that it makes their team better, for me to say it, but anyway, never mind. There, there you go. So that was the reaction. The reaction was very. I have no way. There was about half of the responses, by the way, where oh, look, you have to take all Ireland into account. Yada yada. Absolute normal conversation with normal human beings. That shouldn't be. Uh, that shouldn't be put in the same category as the people who were just absolutely furious at an opinion about Gaelic football. You know, so that that was fans for you. Yeah, that uh, like that reveals. Dublin fans do not like Mayo. Um, I don't know if you knew that, Mark, but they don't. And that, like this weekend, we saw the the two things that made that crystal clear in my mind was Dublin fans up in Oma with a Mayo or shite flag. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think it, I think it even just said Mayo or shit, which is even funnier, I think, because it's just even more kind of just like it, 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 it's yeah. just it's just more reductive almost it's just a very simple sentence to put on a flag mayor shit so you're, you're, 
<laughs> and then signed so off. I thought it was pretty funny. Signed off yeah. by the section of the hill that they supposedly stand in yeah. uh, below it. So but can I just point out the opposite of what I was saying there earlier about the Mayo fans, right? About about. Mayo fans got about three or four, did I say. I didn't see too much reaction to this flag. But the ones I thought were people who were very angry about it. And I'm sorry, but if you're getting angry about that kind of stuff, go and watch a different sport. Uh, it's, For it's, Christ's sake, what are you angry about? The flag is pathetic. But who cares? Thing. Obviously it's <laughs> pathetic. But what are you angry about? Oh, yeah, yeah, what are you, what, oh my God, they've offended me as a Mayo person. That they said my team was shit. Who cares? No, they meant the county. I don't think they meant the team. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but they're, but they're so Muppets. Then, then, they're then, Muppets on uh, the hill. Like, who the, cares? The, the, on the other side of that, you had the reaction to Mick, which actually, funnily, you've served a purpose. Because it sets it up. I, I can't wait for the weekend now. I can't wait for it to see. <laughs> I, don't, I think we would have been looking forward to it regardless of what I did, to be honest. <laughs> Me, Mick on the hill painted in <laughs> green and red. <laughs> Go, Mayo, Mayo. <laughs> that was the last me, we ever saw of me Dublin da- Lord me and David Brady yeah, arm in arm look it's got to be so much fun like you know but but yeah like it is it's a it's a cartoon rivalry at this stage between these two teams and it's so funny because it's so one-sided like Mayo Dublin fans are bitter about Mayo talking about them as a rivalry you know because they've always beaten them but at the yeah. same time, nobody has brought them closer. It is the rivalry. It is the game the whole country's looking forward to. I can, I, it's so funny. And also, I kind of think both teams are unpopular all around the country. But Mayo won't be this one week this year. Mayo are going to win and then lose the all Ireland final. Yeah. It's written in and the whole And 30 counties would be delighted. Right, we've made, we, we made an hour into this podcast without any talk of the Super 8s and all the other nonsense from the, the games that have been out there. But before we go, Mick, do you want to do your 30-second whinge? <laughs> about Super 8s. What do you want me to do my 30-second whinge on? Whatever you want to do. I'll go first and I'll let yeah. you think about it. I'm gonna, my, I don't want, need to do a 30-second whinge. I need to, because for the amount of people that reached out to me, I need to do an apology for getting the black hard rule airspace. So... Sean O'Brien isn't suspended for a semi-final. Stephen O'Brien. Stephen O'Brien, O'Brien. Uh, isn't suspended for a semi-final. The rule, I got through it wrong because, well, firstly, I listened back to it and I said at one stage he got a black card against Donegal, which he didn't. He got a yellow card. So that didn't, that doesn't matter. What does matter is the fact that he was sent off against, sorry, he got a black card against Galway. That carried over to his second black card. It's a combination of the three. So he's he's one now one away see what I'm saying it's no it's, it's, I don't no. <laughs> I have to so be honest what, what has he got so, so you far have to get so, all black cards so if you get, get well, if you get three black cards in the league championship you get a suspension but if it's a standalone black card in the league that's where I got it wrong if you if it's a standalone if you just get a black card in the league it's washed away by the time you come to championship but he got a yellow followed by a black against Galway so that's the stands coming into the championship so that's one strike second strike black card that he got against Meath two strikes so now he needs one more if he gets a black card at the weekend he's gone He's but not a yellow card. No, right. not a yellow card. So Gavin White, two yellows, uh, two black cards. So he's also he's one strike away. So the but if it's a standalone black card from the league, it doesn't carry over. So they're they're one strike away. So I got that wrong on the the podcast last week. Mick, does that's uh, sorry for uh, the amount of people that were clearly in a panic because enough people reached out to tell me <laughs> <laughs> that, I, that I got that wrong <laughs> so now you can look forward to Morris' preview on Friday where he recommends the Kerry rest uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mick look I'll, I'll look, it's because we're not going to talk about it as a topic that yeah. I'll use this it's not it's not anything new and it's not but I do think we shouldn't go by this show without talking about this farce right so 
Go away. Yeah. Ready to go. Okay. We have to do something about the super rates because two years in a row now they've ended in high farce. This was we got, what we got was Donegal and Mayo, and that was great. But that's you know like that's something that maybe it wouldn't have been that combination of games, but we would have had an interesting knockout game. It took away from Kerry and Donegal. That was the best game of the year so far. It's not going to be remembered in ten years because both teams were happy enough with the draw at the end. It didn't really really matter. It wasn't do or die. I don't know what the solution is. I wouldn't mind us talking about it, but it's not this. The super eights. Let's do it next year. It's not a big enough disaster to get rid of, but we can't have dead rubbers in August. That was a waste of a GA weekend. We had one match, you know, and now we've got both. Sem- we've got a w- uh, no break into the semi-finals. Both happening on the same weekend. I feel the hurling semi-finals were a little bit kind of. They were brilliant, and we really enjoyed it. And it was a big weekend, but then they were just over. The f- football semi-finals are going to be the same thing. They're going to be followed by an all Ireland final. All Ireland hurling final seven days later. There's no time to ruminate on the, the the really really important part of the GEA season. We're rushing it to an end. And look, there's loads of reasons for it. You I don't think time. adding a load of extra Super Eight games were the way to do it. To be honest, yeah, like, we're, we're, like I I disagree with you to a certain extent. I think that the Super Eights. If I I'm looking at this, if I was looking at this from a Kerry fans perspective, the Super Eights have been the best uh, quarterfinal experiences of the the decade. Like there's been nothing yeah. nothing that'll come close to But what let's the, what not said. let's not say going to Crow Park and having all Ireland quarterfinals is the only other option. Yeah, exactly. Because that's yeah. obviously the, yeah. they so, were hundred so, percent so, right to get rid of that. Like, so that yeah. was broken and I I think like the yeah there there were there were dead rubbers and that's annoying. But if the solution to the uh, championship is to go to a league format, which is I think we're all in agreement probably is but there's gonna be dead rubbers in that too. Like they're they're gonna be they're going to be part of the calendar, I think, regardless of what happens. So I don't, I don't know what the solution but to that is. Should they be earlier on in the way that they are in the hurling championship, then, where they don't really feel like dead rubbers? You might, it might be the odd game where you feel like, oh, we let that get away from us, but we had, we knew we'd have a chance the next day, Graham. But it's early in the year, and it actually added to the intensity of the Munster and Leinster championships. I, yeah, and then you're knockout all the way after that, and it's do or die, and it's absolutely helped the championship. You've a lot more teams involved. You've a lot more issues with A and B championships and Munster and Leinster councils and stuff like that. But I think the league part of it needs to come earlier in the year. I think having it this late in the year is a farce. I There's, really do because you can't be expected to sit down and have to watch Cork and Roscommon or, or the Throne and Dublin game yesterday. It, there's and a thing so that I always want to talk about, and I don't really mention it because it sounds ridiculous. And I'm coming from like a tiny, tiny microcosm of just me being annoyed and not the rest of the country. But also the fact that the GA is constantly competing against itself. So there are four games on at the weekend. Supposedly the four most important games that hadn't been dead rubbers of the Gaelic football calendar to date. How many club championship games were happening on the Saturday same time, and Sunday? Yeah. Like I constantly miss the biggest GEA games of the year because you're away at club championship games. Mm. And it's actually to a point where it's like everyone's gone mad going Dublin Tyrone's a disgrace. There's other game, Dead Rubber's a disgrace. And you were glad of the club players off. are like no, but clubbers are like I actually I I really couldn't give a shit about Super Eights because I don't have time to watch half the games anyway. So it's 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 some of it. It's like you know that it's that thing that's like thank God Dublin and Tyrone wasn't a massive game because you'd only be annoyed at missing it or people who were annoyed missing say Donegal and uh, Mayo the night before because there might have been a club championship which, game. Which on is, it. that, that's not as simple as a solution though, is it? Like I mean, you do have to have the no. That's what I mean. It's it the calendar thing, but like it, 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 it doesn't it, happen in uh, soccer. It's like the Premier League stops because there's major international games going on. The uh, 
with rugby if the Pro 14 continues but it's not on at the exact same time as Ireland are playing yeah no absolutely yeah that's it's down to county boards and stuff though rather than the but you can't not but play the club championship <laughs> this time the year either at the minute well, you it, have it, to if, like, the, that's a bit the train coming down the track that's, it's splitting the calendar again that's what's coming down to come down to yeah. that, that letting club and county separating them entirely really that's but, yeah, but super the biggest fans of the GEA can't on, watch yeah. the biggest games but just going back to the super rights they were brought in for money and for protecting the, the big teams, right? We know there's no getting away from that. It was brought in at the same time where the whole thing about Congress was club players, we need a better calendar. And that was what they did. And they snuck in this weird super thing and then they put in the hurling thing as a reaction because they'd abandoned the hurling championship, right? This all happened in the space of six months under the guise of we need to do something for the club players, right? So the championship ends early. It's completely negated because there's Mead, Cork, Roscommon and... Donegal, as it turns out, are all in the championship longer than they would have been to get to all Ireland semi-final stage if they'd just been knocked out in the quarterfinals. So for all the counties that would have benefited, it's no benefit at all, you know. And great, the Dublin and whoever's in the all Ireland final with them, Kerry Championship gets to start one week earlier. That's yeah. all it is. It makes no difference. Like, like yeah, but is it like I still think that Super is an improvement to what we had before, but it's, it's not, not it's though, not, because I, we didn't have we. we had, it's not an improvement though. It can't. It's an improvement in the fact that we've had full uh, provincial venues, which has been class. But the, ultimately, what you're seeing is it's it's you're getting to a crescendo of the season, and then it just limps along for a while. It doesn't feel like the biggest thing that it could be. But it it's didn't, a, anyway, we're at, like, the yeah, quarterfinals didn't never like the quarterfinals were. But it was so a means to an end. It was just getting. It was like grand. If there, what can you do if there isn't eight teams there to to compete? You would have had one great All Ireland quarterfinal. And what do we have in the Super Eights? It's spread out over three weeks. It means that we rush the season at the end. All the semi-finals are taking place at the same time. All the games are on top of each other, and we got two good games instead of one good game. But the, so the like the alternative is that. Roscommon or Cork who both ended up uh, it didn't make difference any but like if you heard Antti Cunningham speak after the game last year about how beneficial he's found this exercise for the Super I thought that was really telling I know from my own perspective I'm talking about this from a Galway perspective like for, for Roscommon as a team they've got a lot out of this exercise about uh, testing systems getting used to that level of play and we've always talked about this you need to get up to a certain standard and they're slowly getting there thanks to two Super 8 campaigns are they slowly I, getting there? because all I saw was them getting beaten by 30 points to Dublin but sure, that Dublin going to do that to teams anyway. Like the Roscommon, of course. Get, well, sure, what's, why are we building a system so that Dunne, so that Roscommon can get one one step up the ladder? Like, oh, you can't you can't dismiss smaller teams like that. That's totally. I'm not unfair. dismissing them. I'm but saying that the that system has to take them. But into that's account. not what the system is for. The system is there for if Mayo get caught in the hop on the first round, they can still have a chance to get into the semi final. But it's what it's there for. It's there for Dublin. It's there for Tyrone. It's there for Mayo. No small team will ever win the All Ireland in this current system. But the, because they'll never, they'll never. The likes of Dublin, the likes of Kerry, the likes of Mayo, whoever, will never be caught twice. But that's not my point. Or three times as it would be for that, Mayo. You've totally, you've taught, like, you're arguing both sets of stick here. Like, you can't. Of course I am, because there's both sides to argue. But the, the, either it's totally not in the benefit of smaller teams the way it is, and it was better the way before, which it wasn't. It absolutely wasn't. Like, and I know from a club player in Galway, Galway are way happier knowing now that the, Galway th- in their heads had planned for Super 8, so it's perfect. All they wanted to know, you can go on holidays in August, and they met and discussed this. So they met and discussed it in Gal County Board. Should we come back earlier now that both Gal teams are, are out earlier than we thought they would be? And they actually said no, because players now have a concise calendar. So take your holidays in August, lads. We'll come back with we'll that. Could have been done without the super so rates. Th- th- that has th- nothing to do with the super but rates. So the, the, for a club player right now is more concise. At the same time, you've got a system where for Roscommon and for Cork, they've got a chance to 
at, at this level for so it suits them better I think to be able to come up to that level you saw and again I'm just talking on this base of what managers have told us what they've gotten out of it from that perspective players prefer so Conor McManus I think was really interesting in this one in the game he's talking about the benefit that he's found from the super rates in terms of the benefits that he gets it and then on top of all of that from my perspective I'm looking on it as so that's clubs that's players from a fan's perspective then you're looking at it and you're thinking well like from say this decade I can remember like no smite on you now but like I can remember being at the cavern 2013 qualifying like this is the most pointless thing ever the, the year before it was down they, they destroyed Galway they put seven goals past Kildare now at least over the last two years we've got occasions like the Monhin Kildare game last year this year the Donegal game and the very first day against Mayo I think that's better from their perspective as well I think there's there's Those benefits still happen though there's benefits to it well they don't they, they like, do they, but they what do you mean they don't happen? We were what? Literally, the Donegal and Cork, D- Dublin and Cork, and Dublin and Roscommon were exactly that. They were out of the super rates before they were before they even started. Once they dr- got that draw, no, they they they, 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 they badly don't happen because if you look at this, like I'm talking about, if you look at this decade. Like now, we'll get a scenario where in one year, Kerry will have played Mayo, and like it wasn't a, a brilliant game, but it was a good game. Donegal, an incredible game. Uh, Tyrone this weekend and then if they win that potentially Dublin the same time again you get Mayo doing, like what would have happened is Mayo would have played Cavan I don't know why I keep bringing up Cavan but like Mayo would have played a, a tier 3 tier team in a quarterfinal would have been no, nothing around it quarterfinals were what well, they Mayo were Mayo would have played a, a, a provincial champion yeah. and then, well like Mayo, this year they would have yeah but in, in turn in the, the past decade they end up against those kind of teams and it becomes I, I, I'm saying that there's, there's more you're getting more it's not it's nowhere near perfect but I don't think it's I think there's and there's a huge, huge flaws, but I do think there is benefits to this system to what was there beforehand. And if there's some way of working encompassing them all again as we move forward, that would be more preferential. Like I, I by no way am I advocating for the super rates. Super rates have massive, massive failings, but there is benefits to the super rates now for club players, for managers, and for current intercounty players, and from a fans' perspective, to be honest, that what? weren't there from the old system that's yeah the, okay so you move move the all Ireland the old all Ireland quarterfinals I'm not saying let's have to go back to provincial you know just the yeah, provincial yeah. finals then quarter qualifiers quarterfinals right it needs to be something better than that but say if it did go to it right you move those quarterfinals to provincial venues as opposed to in Crow Park home advantage possibly for the for the provincial champions right so you have this year you'd have games in Roscommon you'd have games in Clarny you'd have games in uh, Oma and obviously Crow Park <laughs> we're not getting away from that one but uh you know, like they become bigger occasions already. So that's one thing. The club, the club games. Um, but you condense Canada would have. Yeah, yeah, so we'd have yeah. just as many good games. The club games is the same thing. I mean, that's that's just because they've done the calendar. It's nothing to do with the super eight. So you just that that's irrelevant to be honest. And then maybe the players and managers like it. But what? So that doesn't that doesn't get taken away from it. But I have to still sit down and watch it every week. But how do we? Why do we still get more good games? Like this year, we got like if you look at it. Are you willing to? I mean, maybe that's a question. There's way more bad games as well because we used to just have four quarterfinals. Two of them were generally good, and two of them were poor. Like, and now we've got way more awful games. And like, I sorry, I can't get past the fact that Roscommon and Cork played a challenge game in the championship yesterday. Do you not think that absolutely shits on what the the football championship is made for? But I I think if if we're moving towards a league proposal, there's going to be dead rubbish. But maybe the time of the year is definitely a way bigger issue like the, the fact that that happened in, in August basically that you had that but I think 
if we if, like I've advocated for less like countless since I started working in media for a league format for a championship if I'm so adamant that we need a league format for a championship I have to be willing to accept there's going to be dead rubbers in that it, it's inevitable it happens in the league every year it happens in any league in in every single not just in in, in Gaelic football it, it's an inevitable consequence of having a league format in, in championship I just think so you, you can't maintain I can't I can't stand there and say that I, I don't want to see any of the rubbish because then I'm saying I don't want a league format and I, and I, and I do okay that 30 second whinge went well we should, <laughs> probably, yeah. we should probably call it a day I'm not agreeing with you but we'll agree to disagree yeah like yeah and we'll do it adamantly we won't fall out over it like no. uh, certain other fans um, we're not fans anyway are we uh, <laughs> I'm not a fan of the Super 8s <laughs> lads are we going to talk about the lad with the bell like what the hell was going on there <laughs> never mind the fucking Super 8s do the work as a competition they don't work as a competition if some fecker is going to go with a bell to a game and constantly ring it like he's fecking a, a server at mass like <laughs> what was he at this constant bell just ringing on the television it was like it was the last lap of uh, 5,000 kilometers 5,000 meter race <laughs> you've had your 30 second win What's going on? All right, that's enough. How was that? How was that not more of a whinge than giving out about the rain? Because everybody agrees with me. (laughs) It's not a whinge. It's a question. What (laughs) sane human being brings a bell to a football game? Whatever we talk about, air horns earlier on in the championship letting them off. Who was ringing a bell constantly in open play? What is it about? Imagine you trying to have that argument there a minute ago, and I just kept going in the background. Folks, are we out of time? We're chatting about time to talk about the Dublin ladies' manager. Go on. Yeah, well, Dublin are in an All Ireland semi final. They unsurprisingly beat Kerry. Cork are also in the semi final. They're playing each other. That's actually class the, the, the two best teams in football they're playing the semi-final and Mick Bowen the, the Dublin manager his quotes after they beat Kerry yesterday Cork were excellent on Saturday they looked very very slick a huge scoreline so they are certainly the ones in the driving seat this is the challenge do you know what score Dublin put past Kerry 5-15 <laughs> like and they won by double scores. I think it was five fifteen to three nine or something like that. Uh, I don't think double. I don't. I don't, I don't think even the Yerrist of Yerra would accept that. That was uh, that's a fair comment. Yeah, Dublin are in the driving seat. Like you can't say it the Cork are, but that is teed up. Like Cork yeah. have been exceptional this year. It is teed up for a massive semi final. Yeah. But it is. Complete Liam Sheedy. Uh, <laughs> Liam Sheedy, yeah, exactly. massive, massive, massive exactly. difference. I, just, I actually do have a serious point on that, though. That's is that that game? I don't know where it's going to be played. Actually, I don't think it's announced yet, but I'd imagine it's going to be in a provincial venue around the country. Is that the 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 ladies' final attendance has been amazing over the last few years, and it's been growing up. It's been getting up, and they'd nearly be hoping to get over fifty thousand this year, but. This is actually the game of the championship, and this is where the All Ireland's going to be won. No offense to the other teams in the in, in the other semi final, but you know it'll be a real test of how the game is growing. That you know how many people will go to this game because yeah. this is the one that should be filling out the stadium. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's actually going to be class, and they're two brilliant teams. They're two brilliant teams to watch. I actually watched the last half an hour of the All Ireland final last year. It was on TG Carter a few weeks ago, and the quality and pace of play is just fantastic. And I really hope that people actually, fans, especially like Dublin and Cork fans, will go to this game as much as they'll be going for the kind of the day out at the final, you know? We're out of time, lads. 
we've been out of time for a good half an hour at this stage. I know, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're deep in the red here. Folks, we'll chat to you on Friday. Come back to us for our preview of what is going to be a, a cracker knockout All-Ireland series this weekend. <laughs> Rate the podcast. Scroll down to the bottom of the podcast feed. If you click into the Buzz.e profile or the GA on Buzz profile, whichever one you're subscribed to, and you'll see where you can give us a five-star review uh, or even a two or three-star review if you're not happy. But no, sure, give us five stars. It's pointless giving anything else. But another thing have to mention before we go that we're going to be back on Thursday with a brand new podcast competing with our, our own GEA podcast myself and Mark and possibly you Morris we don't it's know called the, it's called the No Morris's podcast yeah. <laughs> we're going to be in the the, uh, the build up podcast so we're going to look at uh, all we're going to go cross sport Morris can you believe it and we're going to have uh, Stephen Ferris on when we're talking about rugby we're going to be looking ahead to the Ireland uh, Italy game we're going to have him on regularly we're going to have Jonathan Walters as a regular on this show uh, looking at Premier League and Ireland matches and everything like that we're going to have lots of lots of stuff so really looking forward to that that's going to be Thursday morning in your feed so you know if you haven't had enough of us yet it's after gonna this be a cross four hour board. podcast it's going to be a cross board but I'm somehow still going to bring it all back to Cavan good job yeah. chat to you Friday